Well, hello, Arbor. My name is Mike, and I am excited. It's always an honor to be with you. Today, I get the privilege of talking to you about the life that you were made for. And I remember that there was a day, my first day of my senior year of high school at Mission Viejo High School. This is many, many years ago. And I walk into my AP philosophy class, and the professor had written this question on the board, a singular question. It was, what is the good life? And I was kind of blown away by it. I had never contemplated that question before. I'd never been asked it. I didn't know how to live it because I didn't know what it was. And it just made me think there were all of these other questions that I had been trying to find the answers for, but they were all lesser questions to this. Why isn't this the question? And you know, the Greeks were the ones who came up with this question, but you get the sense that this is the question that's been knocking around the back of our psyches ever since our first parents got kicked out of the garden and they heard the garden gate slam and lock behind them. And the Greeks, by the way, were great contributors to humanity. They planted the seeds that would eventually become democracy. They came up with the Olympics. They came up with a a pretty good salad and a mediocre yogurt. And, and, and so they're the ones who cornered the market on philosophy. But this question actually reminded me of something that I had learned way back in the day at Sunday school about a man you know of as Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Jesus, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, he says this. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You know, in some translations, the word abundant is used to describe life. In other translations, it's life to the full. And Jesus arrived to show us and to bring us this abundant life, this life to the full. The Greeks were the ones who pontificated about it, and Jesus is the one who promised it in all areas of life. And I have been noodling around how it is that we practically live this abundant, excellent, good life for, you know, I, I just turned 50 this summer. I know, I'm a, I'm a young 50. And, and it, the idea of living this life in all of the aspects of our life, this is the paradigm of excellence. And it was pontificated by the Greeks and promised by Jesus. And we're going to contemplate it here at Arbor over these next two weeks, which means that you have to tune in next week. You can't just leave this as a one-off. It's, it's got to go together with what next week is. And friends, you really could, you know, blow it off. You, you could keep living the, the same level of half-asleep, non-engaged, non-passionate life that you've been trying to convince yourself is fine, just fine. I'm, I'm doing just fine. But you know there has to be a way forward that touches all of the areas of your multifaceted life and makes them shimmer with Shekinah glory. And so here it is. This is your pathway. This is your paradigm. This is your ecosystem. Friends, this is the life you were made for. And what's what's literally in the balance is joy. You know, here's a quote from Miroslav Volf, which I believe is the greatest name I've ever heard. And, and, And this is the quote. Joy is the emotional dimension of the good life, of a life that is both going well and being lived well. And as you practice these, the level of joy that flows from Jesus is virtually limitless. There's this intrinsic reward that comes from living with excellence. 
But when you disregard some of these principles, you will derail without question, and you don't need to be one of those people. Midlife crisis doesn't need to be a part of your story. So let's jump in. This is the umbrella idea. The 30,000-foot idea is this, to build intentionality into all the areas of your life. In other words, abundant life doesn't just happen. It must be approached with intention. And specifically, there are eight areas of this whole life of excellence, this whole life of abundance that we need to be intentional about. And so this is the good news, and it begins with what we start with. We need to start by focusing on vocational flourishing. So this is where you work. I don't know if you know this, but vocation is simply from the Latin word vocare. It means you're calling. And your calling could be in the workplace. It could be in you know, the corporate CEO. It could be in the boardroom. It could be in the home. There are all these places that we are called, but wherever it is that we're called, the game is to flourish. John Wooden, that great coach from UCLA, said, success comes from knowing that you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. You see, a certain wholeheartedness is required to flourish. In other words, whatever you're doing, whatever you're going after, go after it with your whole heart. Pour yourself in while you're serving in that role. So whatever the task is, pursue it with all you've got, with efficacy, with follow-through. Only great things will come from living this definition of flourishing. You know, in the scripture, the Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians 3.23. This is the King James Version. He says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I love that verse. I especially love it in the King James because it sounds like Paul is a pirate. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, right? Like it's, it, anyway, forgive me. But whatever it is that you find yourself doing, the scripture says, do it with your whole heart. You know, one summer many years ago, my wife and kids were road tripping up to Washington from California, and they stopped in Redding to spend the night. They ate that evening at Applebee's restaurant, and then while they were eating, my wife began to call around to different hotels to book a room. The problem was that they were in the midst of wildfires. <laughs> Does that sound familiar today? And all of the firefighters from the western United States were in Reading, staying there for the night. And so there was no room in the inn. Now, their waitress was this delightful and winsome woman. She was in her mid-60s. She was smiling. She had a name tag that said, Brenda Rocks with an exclamation point behind it, which I just think is a, a joyfully gutsy thing to advertise. And, and I'm not sure that that was actually her name. I am sure that that was actually her posture because she really did rock. She was warm, she was funny, she made the kids laugh, she took care of them with great excellence and served them well. But she also noticed that my wife was calling around to these different hotel rooms with no success. So she just offered, hey, do you think I might be able to help you? And my wife took her up on that. And so Brenda goes into the back and she makes a few phone calls to a few friends who live in town. And she comes back out and she has secured an Airbnb room for my family for that night. It totally surprised them. It absolutely blessed them. My kids drew Brenda a little picture and they said, Brenda, you really do rock, you know, in, in Applebee's crown. And my wife tipped her 50%. And that night when they were in the Airbnb room, my wife went on to Yelp because she wanted to leave a positive review. And what my wife found was that the reviews of Applebee's were 
relatively mediocre. You m might have suggested that or expected that. But Brenda herself as a waitress had a dozen glowing reviews. Friends, I want you to understand, Brenda was the attraction at her restaurant. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And I want you to understand that, that I'm not saying that Brenda's purpose in life was to be a waitress. All I'm arguing is that she knew that since she was a waitress, she knew the purpose of her being there was to flourish. The name of the game was to flourish. And so the question comes up, well, how do we flourish within the existing role that we live in? And the answer is, well, we continue to learn. We continue to grow, we get stronger, confident, we handle more, we enjoy, we respect others, we earn others' respect, we produce, we serve well. You see, I want you to think about Brenda for just one moment. You know, she was proficient, she was fun, and she was helpful. Friends, these are available to you right now in whatever role you are inhabiting. So that's the challenge, right? That we can grab hold of these things and flourish today. The next thing that we need to be intentional about in our life is our emotional life. And the challenge here is to embrace emotional regulation. Embrace emotional regulation. And the key to this is living grounded and present. You know, friends, we spend all of our time ricocheting between the past, what has happened, and the future, what might happen. And all of life is actually lived in the present tense. It's in the here and now, the sliver of reality that is now. And so I want you to understand that this present moment is where all of your life happens. And so we need to live it mindful and we need to live it present. There are some resources that I would suggest to you on this score. Don't Sweat the Small Stuff by Dr. Richard Carlson, 40 Days to a Joy-Filled Life by Tommy Newbery, anything by Brene Brown. But here's the deal. One of the reasons why I can coach, why I minister, why I've been able to be a pastoral counselor for 28 years is because I've learned, God has taught me how to process problems and to be able to engage in solution making without owning someone else's problems as my own crisis. Now, you probably can do this too. It's why other people come to you for advice, why you're able to help coach and guide other people in your life. The real trick, though, is to be able to do this with yourself. You see, there's this thing that we're all familiar with today called social distancing. It's where we now stay six feet removed from any other human being. There's this thing we need to learn, which is emotional distancing, where we get just a little bit of distance between ourselves and the problem or the challenge or the trial that we face. I'm not talking about being totally detached. I'm not talking about pretending your problems away. I'm talking about just getting a few feet of separation so that you can view the situation with neutral thinking and be present and mindful for solution making in it. And friends, I wanna tell you that when God is with you, he enables you to see every situation through his lens when his Holy Spirit is present in our lives. So this is the scripture from Galatians 5.22 that we want to go after and we want to embrace. It's the Holy Spirit producing this kind of fruit in our lives, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
You see, these are all available to the Jesus follower no matter what is going on in the wild and crazy world we live in today. No matter what's happening with the pandemic or the Dow Jones or the election cycle or the wildfires or the news feeds. So friends, I I want you to understand living grounded is a superpower. And it's a superpower that Jesus invites us to as a part of his abundant life. The next area that we need to take a look at is to construct financial intentionality. The art of financial intentionality is all wrapped up in this single word, enough. And you might wanna write that down. It's just a simple word. It's the word enough. In other words, less stuff equals more life for you and I in Jesus. You know, I heard this great pastor lead an exercise that I was participating in And he asked us to write down the seven spaces or the seven settings or the seven experiences that we have had in our lives that brought us the most life, that that allowed us to live the most vitally present and, and most fully alive. And so we took some time doing that. And after we had written those situations, those settings, those those experiences down, then he challenged us to take another look at it. And he says, I bet you that out of those seven things that you have just written down, four, five, even six of them are available to you right now in your life without needing to wait for a different season when the chaos settles, without waiting to, until you make more money or you have more money in the bank, etc. And, and his challenge was this, that God has already provided all things for our enjoyment, that, that this good stuff is available to us in the here and now. And not only that, friends, but there is a downside to having and hoarding and storing more money or stuff. It can actually steal your life. At, at my last church that I was a pastor, uh, that I was a, a pastoring Overlake Christian Church, there, there was a man who was a part of our congregation named Jay Jones. And he had worked as a field producer for the A&E television show, Hoarders. I don't know if you remember this show. But I had the privilege of interviewing him, and and as I did, he revealed that it was a profoundly discouraging experience to work on that show. And the reason why was really simple, because they would work really hard with the the disorder of hoarding, the dishoarder, if you will. I just, I want you to know puns really are the highest form of humor. But they would work with this person who had this disorder and was hoarding and they would clean out everything in their home and in their yard and they would make everything look pristine and sanitized and it was almost like an extreme home makeover but it's also an extreme life makeover. And they would do all this and it would be beautiful and that was the TV show. But then Jay said that even before the camera crew was able to pack up their gear and get out of town, that the hoarder would start grabbing things and refilling their home. And it was often things that had no value whatsoever, like the straw wrapper, the, the, you know, just the, kind of the trash, the little plastic cup that they received from the drive-thru. It, it was so profoundly discouraging for him. Now, what's so tough about this is that the hoarder has a misplaced emotional attachment to stuff stuff that really has no value. And it's really easy for us to see it in them. It's actually a little bit harder for us to see it in ourselves. You know, I read this story about a compulsive hoarder 
and he had so much stuff piled up in his home and he was so afraid that someone would break in and steal it that he had set booby traps all around his house. However, there was so much other stuff, clutter, he forgot where he put the booby traps and he triggered one of them and it went off and, and he died. The problem was they couldn't find him for several days because all of his stuff had avalanched down on top of him and they were unable to see where it was that he w- was, was lying. And, and I realized when I read that story, I had found the most depressing story I have ever found. But it perfectly illustrates this biblical truth. And here it is. Hoarding riches harms the Savior. Hoarding riches harms the Savior. Right now, I'd love to have you think about your own life for a second. Think about the areas in your house or, or the things that you t- might tend to hoard, shoes or clothes or junk in the garage. You know, I'll just ask you a question. Are there places in your garage that you don't get to very often because you have to move stuff in order to get there? And the reason why you don't move stuff in order to get there is because it's really not worth moving stuff in order to get there. Or have you ever reached into a closet to pull something out of the top shelf and had an avalanche of stuff fall down on top of you, right? Or maybe do you have this exercise equipment in your home that you use every day to dry towels and clothes on? right? You know, all of us have a touch of hoarding, not Pastor Jake, but just about every other mere mortal in this life has a little touch of hoarding. And so what is it that we do with all of this in terms of financial intentionality? Here it is. We have to recognize that we spend all kinds of money on all kinds of stuff that we think is gonna increase the experience of our life, and then we think we don't have enough money to get all the stuff that we need, so we need to make more money when all we're really doing is making more clutter. And the answer to all of this downward spiral is simply the word enough. It's just saying the word enough. It's just telling the God of the universe that with him, you are enough right? That, that less stuff really does equal more life. I want to end this point by pointing to one of the most famous verses in all of scripture. In fact, if you go all around the world, even in cultures that don't have a very good understanding of the Bible, this verse is known. It's Psalm 23 verse 1, and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. The NIV says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Friends, I want you to understand that God wants us to realize that with his help, we can celebrate that we have enough. So let me speed this up. The next area of life is to live with physical vitality. Live with physical vitality. And the question here is, look, if you don't take care of your body, where are you gonna live? You know, this is the vehicle that you have been given to drive for 70 or 90 years, but it's only a loner, and you're gonna have to return it at some point, and so the question is, how are you taking care of it? Edward Stanley says, those who think they have no time for exercise will sooner or later have to find time for illness. Right? It's kind of either or. We've got to steward this vehicle. And so as in all matters, what I'd encourage you to do is treat your body like Jesus treated his. In other words, I'd love to have you eat real foods, uh, fresh and whole foods. I I want you to think about greens and proteins and portion control. 
You know, the scripture says this in Psalm 104, such a great passage. You, it's talking about the Lord, you cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. (laughs) Friends, I gotta tell you, this verse sounds delicious to me, right? fresh bread and you're dipping it in olive oil and you're having that next to your steak right that's fed by the grass that God gave and and you're you're having this with a nice fresh salad and washing it all down with a cabernet making your heart glad like this is a beautiful beautiful picture of how God wants us to enjoy and steward our bodies now recognize that we also have to move our bodies every day Friends, what did Jesus do? Jesus walked everywhere, right? All the time. If you've ever gone through the scripture, you understand that Jesus walked all through the city of Jerusalem, and then he walked up the hill to the Mount of Olives. Then he walked down the other hill to the city of Jericho, and then he walked north up into Galilee, and he did it again and again and again. He walked everywhere. And so the idea of of being active daily, this is a very Christ-modeled reality for us. Not only that, but Jesus spent the first 30 years of his life working with wood, working with stone. He was a carpenter. He worked with his father. And so this picture that we have of Jesus taking care of his cardiovascular and his respiratory and his muscular system, it's really rich in the scriptures. Now, the last note here is the challenge to sleep like a baby. Actually, I would say, some of you have babies, you say, can we sleep better than a baby, right? We, we wanna actually do better because when we sleep, it's when our brain washes itself. It's how God has designed us to literally remove the toxins and the waste in the cells of our brain. And, and so we're able to wake up renewed and restored. And again, this is a biblical reality. Psalm 107 or 127 says, for so he the Lord grants his beloved sleep. It's a gift from God. So that's physical vitality. The next area is relational fitness. This art of relational fitness is about gracefully waltzing with the relationships that empower you. I found this Turkish proverb that said, no road is long with good company. And of course, the scripture says it this way, that two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three or even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken." Man, that last line is so powerful. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so for you, it might, be, it might be your friends. It might be your family. It might be your spouse. If you're single, it, it might be you know, some significant friendships. It might be a significant other. But the, the point is this. Make your cord a triple braided cord, right? So that it's not easily broken so that there's that inherent relational fitness there. These are the spaces where you invest your relational energy, where you invest your emotional vulnerability. And again, it requires your investment, your time and your intentionality. The next area of our life is to challenge your mind, to challenge your mind, to construct the architect of your mental palace. 
And the reason why so many of us get bored with life or we live subpar is because we forget that we are made to be lifelong learners. Henry Ford said this, he said, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is probably why so few engage in it. And so the challenge, friends, is to discover how it is that you learn. Do you learn through audiobooks, through podcasts? Do you learn through classes or coaching or reading, etc.? And for me, what I use in this is the NET guide. NET stands for no extra time required. And so what I like to do is I like to learn through podcasts or, or messages preached, and I'll listen to these as I drive my car somewhere or as I do my cardio exercises, etc. You know, there's this great verse in the scripture describing the disciples, and it says this in Acts chapter 4, these other people in the community are looking at the disciples, and this is what they see. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What is that saying? It's saying that they were amazed at the authority and the courage with which these disciples spoke with how they carried themselves and they concluded that the reason why they had this authority and courage was because they had become learners. They had placed themselves in the posture of learning and growing and developing under the leadership of Jesus Christ. You see, with Jesus as their guide, it increased who they were, their authority, their experience. It allowed them to be expansive. And this is true for you, friends, lifelong growing, developing your mental prowess, continuing to expand who you are, especially under the leadership of Jesus, his love and his truth. This pays huge dividends. The next area of our life is the challenge to engage in play. Engage, this is the thing that we forget all the time, especially for those of you who are parents, right? We all know that parenting can be a lot of duty. There is a lot of have to. You're you're making sure bills are paid and chores are getting done. You're making sure that the kiddos have everything they need. In this day and age, you're also a a homeschool teacher. You didn't know you were going to be, but now you're a homeschool teacher as well. And, And in all these things, sometimes as adults, we lose our sense of fun. We lose the reality that life is made to be an adventure. And I just want to confess to you, this happened to me a few years back. I found myself just kind of drudging through life. I found myself not singing in the car anymore. I just, I didn't like who I'd become. I'd become all business, you know, all work and no play makes Mike a dull boy. And so it was so interesting. One night in this season, I got up to use the restroom. Like I said, I'm 50. This is just where I am. And and, and so I, I get up and I keep the lights out. I don't want to disturb anyone. And so I shuffle over to where the toilet is. My eyes aren't even open. And, and yet instantly I could sense that something was wrong. The sound was all wrong. There was all kinds of, of ricochet and, and it was, everything's just going everywhere. So I, I turned the light on and I realized that someone had saran wrapped the toilet bowl. And I thought that was curious, yeah. And so I went back to bed. Next morning I get up and I, I go into my closet, I put my slippers on, and as I put my toe into the slipper, I realized that I have jammed my foot into a mashed up banana. And I went through in between my toes, under my toenails, etc. Yeah, you're, you're, this is not a good day for me. 
And I, I, I thought to myself, there's only one person in my home who would do this. And so I storm into my son, Caleb. He's in fifth grade at the time. I, I, he's the only one that could have done it. Caleb, you are so busted, man. And he's waking up slow, and he looks at me, and then he kind of rolls over, and he says, Dad, your breath kind of stinks. You should go brush your teeth. But I was on to him. I knew there was something else. So I walked carefully into my bathroom, and I pick up my toothbrush, and sure enough, it was doused with Tabasco sauce. So I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's on. Buddy, you don't know. You have unleashed a lion. So that day, I go to the store. I buy some Oreo cookies, and I scrape out the middle of the Oreo cookie, the white middle, and, and then I put a few back together, but I put it back together by putting the original white Colgate toothpaste in the middle. And I put a bunch together in a little baggie, I throw it in the freezer, I save it for the next day. Next day I make him his lunch and I send him off to school with a pat on the head and a smile out the door and, and I'm just waiting for him to come home, right? And, and he comes home, he's like, oh dad, those cookies, man, they were awful. My friends were cracking up. That was so bad, man. And I thought to myself, I'm back. I'm back, baby. And I want you to understand this, that, that you have to continue to pursue that twinkle in your eye, that mischievous sprite within you. You see, there's a reason why the word is recreation. It's because it allows us to recreate who we are, that youthful, playful spirit that the Lord of the universe has planted within us. So you gotta go after that idea of playful engagement with your life. And then lastly, and honestly, this is most important out of everything we talked about so far today, it's the challenge to honor your soul, to honor your soul. And your spiritual life is at the core of all of this because this is you. When you strip away all the other descriptors, when you strip away all the other distractions, what's left is the very center and it's just kind of naked, it's, it's just raw and real and it's who you are. That's why when you look at the construct of how your life is designed, your spiritual life is at the center. And I want you to understand that there are two components of how we live this area of our, of our spiritual lives with abundance. And the first, you're not gonna find this a surprise, Arbor, is we need to live in peace with God. We need to find our peace with God, we need to be at peace with God, and we need to live our peace with God. And my convictions are all, all built around the person of Jesus Christ. I am now and forever a Jesus loves you kind of guy, and, and, and the recognition through scripture is that Jesus is actually God's initiation of peace with us. Jesus is God's plan. This is, this is why in addition to the title Emmanuel, which Jesus has, Emmanuel, which means God with us, Jesus also carries another title, which is Prince of Peace. He is the tangible expression of God initiating peace with us. And that's why on that hill of Calvary, when Jesus was on the cross, he accomplished peace with us, between us, our wayward souls, and the unfailing love of God. And friends, in that moment, if you'll recall, there was this curtain in the temple in Jerusalem, and it ripped from the top to the bottom 
right? There was no longer this separation. There was no longer this distance. There was no longer this sense of anything between this loving God and you and me. And so this is the challenge to accept this peace and to embrace his peace and to live in this peace with God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the first piece. The second that we have to take a look at is we must live our values. We must live our values. Friends, if you don't live your values, or if you are living someone else's values, if you're living the values of your parents, if you're living the values of your boss, if you're living the values even of your spouse, or maybe you don't even know, you haven't even done the work to understand what are the core values that God has planted within you. I'm telling you, if you don't live your values, you will live with this inner dissonance in your life. And this disarmony, this, this, this unrest within your soul will radiate itself out into all the other areas of your life. Okay, now the chances are good that everything we've covered, it, none of these topics are a shocker to you. The reason why is because as a human being, you already exist in all of these areas. That's why this is a blueprint of sorts. It actually builds the whole house when we become intentional about all of these areas. I will tell you, if you skip any one of these areas, right, if you ignore any one of these components of your life, you're gonna derail. It's almost like it doesn't matter where in the bottom of the boat it is, if there's a hole somewhere, the whole boat sinks, right? But when you, when you like a facets of a diamond, when you pay attention to all of these areas and you're intentional about all of these areas and set goals and progress in all of them, then like a diamond, you will shine and radiate with abundance. So I wanna close our time together by focusing on one word. It's the word excellence. And I want you to think about the word excellence as opposed to perfection. You see, perfection is the most demoralizing pursuit that I'm aware of. Excellence is the most empowering. Perfection freezes us, but excellence frees us. You know, my favorite football player is probably your favorite football player because great minds think alike. Of course, I'm referring to Marshawn Lynch, this running back that uh, retired from the Seattle Seahawks. You might think of him as the player who gave eloquent and, you know, really inspiring speeches to reporters and, and interviews to, to the media, or you might know him simply as beast mode. But when you think about Marshawn Lynch, through the course of his career, he had a few otherworldly runs. These are affectionately known as beast quakes. It was almost as if a, a, a superhuman had entered the playing field. And these runs were so long and so powerful and the crowd noise was so expansive and prolonged that it was picked up by seismographs. Scientists thought an earthquake had happened when Marshawn Lynch would make these runs. This is a true story. You can look it up on YouTube. But I want you to know that those beast mode, those, those beast quake runs were a little bit of the outlier. He only had a few of them in the course of his career. Most of the time, whether he was running for three yards or 12 yards or negative two yards, <laughs> he was still running with that same fierce, relentless excellence. He was always running with that, that beastie quality. And it didn't even matter what it was. It didn't matter what the play was. He was gonna play to the fullest extent he possibly could play. 
And friends, I want you to understand that that is the life that Jesus came to set us free to live. Marshawn Lynch would just go hard after it and then he would treat himself with Skittles. That's what Jesus wants you to do as well. So perfection is what gets in your head and slows you down. Excellence is joyfully in front of you, ready to be run after. Perfection is an impossible goal, but excellence is the empowering goal. It's not flaw-free, but it's learning and growing and developing and continuing to excel. So in other words, friends, as we close our time today, I want you to know that it is time for you to get out of your own way and to go hard after excellence. It's whole life excellence. Friends, this is the life that you were made for. Now, there is one thing that stands between you and the life that you were made for. There's only one thing that literally is a barrier between you living this life that Jesus has for you in abundance. And that is what we're gonna talk about next week. So you've gotta come back. You've gotta be a part of this thing. It's too important for you to miss, okay? Well, God bless you. Let me pray to close our time.